the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The Innovators Network. Welcome to the Heart of Innovation. 60 minutes that can save life and limb with new breakthrough ideas and innovation changing the healthcare landscape. Brought to you by patient advocacy group, thewaytomyheart.org. In partnership with Cardiovascular System Incorporated's patient advocacy campaign, Take a Stand Against Amputation. Here are your hosts for the Heart of Innovation, Emmy Award-winning journalist and founder of The Way to My Heart, Kim McNicholas, and interventional cardiologist and founder of the Save My Piggies Health Education Series, Dr. John Phillips. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the show. This is going to be a really fun show. You've heard us over and over again over the last year and now into season two or year two of The Heart of Innovation us talking about a very debilitating disorder called peripheral artery disease. It is plaque buildup in mainly the leg arteries. It could be all of the peripherals, though, including the arms um, that restricts blood flow and could lead to amputation, stroke or even heart attack. Three in five people who suffer a heart attack have plaque buildup in their leg arteries. And if only a doctor took two seconds and two fingers to feel those leg pulses, life and limb might be saved. Today's show is all about what is possible in the treatment of PAD, as well as coronary artery disease. It's all about the arteries. It's all about those blockages. But what could be done and how did the evolution of treatment begin? Well, we are very, very lucky to have the godfather, I call him, of the treatment of peripheral artery disease, Dr. John Simpson here. And we also have a world-renowned Interventional radiologist who treats PAD out of London, Dr. Lorenzo Petrone, who's the founder of a very new conference that helps to educate those who treat PAD. It's called Find Your Algorithm or FYA. And that is a brand new conference that took place in, I think it was April. Right, Lorenzo? Yeah. yeah. Okay. 23rd and 24th of April. Yeah. And he had this quiz, this vascular quiz that he put together, which I found so fascinating. And I thought if we could do this vascular quiz that gets us back to the humble beginnings of the, you know, the treatment of PAD and how it got to where it is today, I thought it'd be really fun to do. So Dr. Phillips, what do you think? Are you ready to get this party started? I cer- you know, I, I certainly am. We we spend a lot of time on this show discussing uh, the, you know, kind of the, the, the downers of peripheral arterial disease and other medical ailments. And we, and we always try to find guests that are innovators and, uh, you know, who's not the, the best innovator in our field other than Dr. Simpson. So this is, this is going to be a, a really fun show. Uh, I'm looking forward to a lot of candid conversation and just 
picking his 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 mind a little bit as to how he came up with a lot of the devices that we're still using today in various iterations. And then Dr. Petroni, it'll be fun because I've seen some of your questions. I haven't looked uh, at the answers, so I don't know. None of us like. Now we all like to get a hundred on our uh, quizzes here, but I don't know. I'll, I'll be lucky if I get about fifty percent. Yeah, I mean, actually, even I, even I, when I put them together, I had to study, you know. And actually, it was very nice because I had to study hard in order to get uh, all the facts <laughs> and the funny stories behind the things, and also, you know, the little battles between clinicians to be the first one to do this, to be the first one to do that. I think it was it was fun for me, and hopefully, it's going to be fun for you. And Dr. Simpson, you don't know anything about those battles to try and be first to invent. You know, I just don't. I've never heard of that. Uh, but I'm, <laughs> I'm eager to learn more. I mean, that's why I'm participating in the call, I think, to learn more about what this is all about. It's great. Humble, 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 humble. I, mm. I just adore you. So what do you think? Should we just get started? Should I ask the first question and see um, who can jump in? We might even have some PAD patients who we call me, our PAD warriors. Before we go, let me just have my little moment of inspiration real quick. Oh, okay. yeah. Oh, yeah. Dr. Gotta, John gotta have Phillips, the right spectacular vascular moment of inspiration. Yeah, here we go. So I suspect we may be talking about one Dr. Werner Forsman, um, potentially, uh, and I'm not going to kind of I'm, I'm not going to spoil the surprise, uh, but he's quoted as saying he, he got the Nobel Prize in Medicine in 1956 for developing something which I think we'll dive into here, which we use on a daily basis in the catheterization lab. But he's quoted as saying one may compare the art of healing with a work of art which from different standpoints and under different lighting reveals ever new and surprising beauty. Mm. I like that. So with that, let's, uh, let's, let's, let's get this quiz on the show here. Wow. I think that was the perfect way to, to set things up because I think that if we ask, you know, Dr. Simpson about inventing, that's kind of your approach, isn't it? Well, it's really, you know, yeah. seeing the painting, seeing the beauty and being able to reverse engineer it and paint the picture yourself. Yeah, I mean, I have to be honest with you, I'm not sure exactly how that all works. That Historically, um, I have always found that there's some kind of a problem, a, a relative uh, clinical problem for which there's not a great solution. And is if we put together the right team of engineers and the right people, the right financing uh, could we actually do something to to yield a a uh, a solution uh, to the problem? Uh, in the early days of balloon angioplasty, uh, I had the great opportunity to to hear Andres Grunzi uh, speak at Stanford, along with uh, a large number of other cardiology fellows. And I was the only one crazy enough, I suppose, to think. In fact, I told my wife after I heard Grinch's presentation, Andreas Grinch was the father of all of the coronary angioplasty, just to put everybody on the same same page. Mm-hmm. This is back in the 1970s, late 1970s. Um, I, I told my wife when he spoke at Stanford that he's going to blow up uh, balloons in people's coronary arteries and they were going to get better. And I thought, uh, yeah, uh, but maybe not always. Uh, I told my wife, I said, he, he's he either is going to revolutionize treatment of coronary disease or he's going to go to jail. I kind of lean more toward jail uh, oh. for Andreas uh, at that time. But not too long after that, and I'm probably taking this way off, off track here, but not too long after that, I had a bad complication in the cath lab at Stanford. I was a fellow at the time, and I thought that Grunzig's balloon might have 
helped us solve that problem. So once again, I'm, I'm, I don't know. I don't really have necessarily a particularly inventive uh, skill set. I think Tom Fogarty does, but I think my skill set is one of sort of seeing the problem and then trying to find a way to, you know, just try and usually fail, try, fail, try, fail. You know, the whole fail fast uh, kind of concept yeah. uh, is, is what has led me uh, uh, maybe to the inventions. But the the kind of the interesting thing for me is that I was trained by a radiologist uh, at, at Stanford. His name was Lou Wexler. And this was in the era where uh, radiology, were they were the only ones who could do coronary angiography. Cardiologists could not do coronary angiography. At Stanford, we could do right heart and left heart cast. But all the angiography was done by the radiologists, which, in fact, Blue Wexler was the best angiographer for sure, did the best coronaries. I mean, I was very, very fortunate, actually, to be in a setting, and everything we did, we did over guide wires. And so to not have a guide wire in place to do some work on a, on a vessel or image of vessel or something like that was to, totally foreign to my, my way of thinking. And it was really through through the my background, I think, being trained by radiologists that led me to say, we need to have a guide wire inside this balloon that we're going to work on in the coronary arteries, which I think led to, uh, or, you know, motivated me to give that a try, but mostly motivated because I had uh, went to see Andreas and ordered the catheters and couldn't get the catheters. So decided I had, I had to build my own. I sort of had no choice. And so I'm sort of one of those, uh, when push comes to shove, if you don't have any other choice, then, then, then you find the way to do it and, and, and to do it yourself. And so that's kind of the, uh, uh, the, sort of the, the essence of, I think, how I tend to think about things if it may be totally irrelevant to the way your question was worded, but. No, it's completely relevant, and it leads us to our first question, which, if everyone was listening, they heard the answer. What medicine practice is credited for the development of angioplasty? A, interventional cardiologist, B, interventional radiologist, or C, vascular surgeon? So I do happen, I I do know the answer, but I'm not going to answer it. So Douglas, he's one of our pad warriors. Douglas, unmute. Tell us what you think. If I heard, I think I heard radiologist. That is absolutely correct. Perfect. Maybe Lorenzo Petroni could uh, give us a little color on it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it was uh, Charles Dotter, and actually he is uh, considered the godfather of interventional radiology and uh, percutaneous uh, intervention altogether. So essentially, it was 1964, so next year would be uh, 60 years, because it was January 1964, when uh, he, he, he exactly he, he sort of invented the concept of uh, intravascular therapy. And this guy was revolutionary and worked very hard in the next years, you know, to try to uh, develop uh, this kind of field, actually, with many of uh, uh, other colleagues. And actually, I mean, what's funny, like I I found on the internet a very uh, funny picture. It's a request done by a vascular surgeon at the time. And the request was saying, please perform an angiogram because angiograms, which means just uh, inject dye into the arteries in order to get a map, was done since many years. And they said, do an angiography, but do not try to fix so it was funny, like uh, they tried to stop him from doing it, even in his own center, because probably he was pushing for something which was revolutionary and not everyone at the time uh, at the time really understood. So it was a battle, but uh, I think he, we're all really um, you know, grateful to him and to his uh, own developments that led also uh, uh, to uh, our practice uh, nowadays. And coming up right here on the Heart of Innovation, we're going to find out the first concept 
of angioplasty and what it was applied to. So stay with us right here on the show. Leg health can indicate risk for heart attack, stroke, and amputation. If you have leg pain or cramps while walking, get checked for peripheral artery disease, or PAD. PAD is plaque buildup in mainly the leg arteries. Be sure to ask your physician for an ankle brachial index, also called an ABI test, where they use blood pressure cuffs to analyze the blood pressure in your legs. If they discover you have arterial plaque that's limiting blood flow to your feet, medicine and a regimented walking program are frontline treatment. If PAD is in its advanced stages, your physician may schedule a surgical intervention. Minimally invasive tools are available to remove plaque and restore blood flow, including Cardiovascular System's Diamondback 360 Athrectomy System, which sands away plaque that is a hard calcium. It's important to discuss all options with your physician, and if told you have no options, get a second opinion. Take a stand against amputation. For more information, go to standagainstamputation.com. That's standagainstamputation.com. Welcome back to The Heart of Innovation. For more on today's topic, go to theheartofinnovation.org. That's theheartofinnovation.org. Once again, here's Emmy Award-winning journalist Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist Dr. John Phillips. Welcome back, everybody. Thanks for joining us uh, today. We are super stoked to be joined on the show with Drs. Simpson and Patrone. Uh, we're talking about medical history as it pertains to kind of what we do. We're plumbers, basically, and uh, we open up blocked arteries uh, without a scalpel. And during the break, we were talking, and I'd like to get into this just for a little bit if we could. We were talking about a device that Dr. Simpson uh, was uh, involved with inventing that allows us to put a little stitch inside the artery uh, through the little tiny hole that that we made um, with our needle. And that really kind of has uh, revolutionized the way uh, patients recover from from these procedures. So, Dr. Simpson, you obviously were doing these cases. The You, you got the peripheral arterial, you know, you've got the balloons to, to open up arteries and you're sticking big tubes in people's arteries in the growing. And now you have to figure out, well, how do we keep that hole from uh, having that patient bleed to death, huh? Well, yeah, so the the, the sheath insertion site in the groin uh, was pretty large. And in this era, uh, when we were developing the technology, I was responsible for holding the groins in a lot of the patients at Stanford. And they're all getting stents at that time, and they're on anticoagulation with Coumadin, and they're all bleeding. And I'm, hold, I'm holding the groins for a couple of hours to try to get the bleeding to stop. And finally, on one occasion, uh, I just said, this is this is just not working. The, the patient wouldn't stop bleeding. So I called Dr. Fogarty. Tom Fogarty is a very, very well-known vascular surgeon worldwide. He's got a, a bunch of great stories about his history. Very in, inventive guy. But I called Tom. He's the vascular surgeon at, Sequoia, at uh, Stanford at the time. I said, you got to fix this. So we took the patient to surgery. I said, I want to go with you. He said, okay, good. And so I went to surgery. He did the cut down, and he put in one stitch uh, and in like a few seconds, close the, the access site effectively. And I said, Ooh, if that's all, if you just need one stitch, uh, Tom, I said, I think we can do that. I bet I can do that percutaneously. And he kind of looked at me and kind of laughed. He said, yeah, right. I, I don't believe that. But four years later, <laughs> I'm not saying it happened quickly. Um, but um, over time, we're able to figure out a way, multiple failures, devices that we thought would be perfect for this application. But ultimately we found a way to, to actually put a little cuff on the end of a suture. So a tiny little suture would have a cuff on it. We bring a needle down from above 
uh, have the guide, uh, the needle has to be guided really carefully so it hits the end of the suture just perfectly, hits it perfectly, then it connects to the cuff, you can pull it out. Now you have a suture uh, there to uh, to close the artery and you can, or, I mean, to close the access site. Uh, and it was intended to be used in patients who having diagnostic angiography and, and the big, uh, and this is the other thing too that I'd like to point out is that all innovation you always plan for it to be something, and it really has to do this thing, and almost every time it does something else uh, that makes a difference. And so the whole thing about per-close now is that most of the devices that are used are used to to, to so-called do pre-close or uh, sheath insertion sites that are being patients that are having heart valves put in um, uh, percutaneously. So it's been a... Uh, I, I saw a thing the other day that uh, Abbott had just sold their 7 millionth uh, per close device. Uh, and I would say that when I first saw, when I was asked about how many they would sell, I said maybe a thousand a year. So you can tell I was maybe a little bit off. Just a little. Just a little. And sorry, sorry, you said Foley, but is it the, the one of the Foley cuts, the one for open dromectomies? I uh, know, Tom Fogarty. So Fogarty balloon catheter. Fogarty, uh, but yeah, Fogarty, yeah, sorry, yeah. The embolectomy catheter for Tom Fogarty, yeah. Okay, wow. Okay, so way before you close it up, before you use the per close, you got to do something, right? You got to unblock those arteries. So we had been talking before the break about angioplasty, which is the dilation, right, of the, the balloon. And it was really um, described first by Charles Dodder, who was the godfather of interventional radiology. And that was in 1964 that he developed the concept. So the question is, what was the first concept of angioplasty actually applied to? Was it a, coronary artery disease? Was it B, peripheral artery disease? Or three, the carotids, which are in the neck? Any takers on that one? John, how about we ask you that one? You want, you want me to ask? I, I, I think or you answer should that? that one. Yeah, I think you should know. Um, I, it, I don't know. Maybe is it, it probably peripheral, I would imagine. Yes, artery disease, ding, 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 Lorenzo, the first case in which this angioplasty concept was performed. Correct. Actually, I mean, many would have answered probably coronary artery disease, because if you think about angioplasty and the work of of other pioneers were, were, you would say, Thing. We thought it was like coronary artery disease, but instead in 1964, it was this kind of 80 year, uh, more 82, I think, year old woman where the necrosis of the toes was uh, unsuitable for any kind of uh, surgical revascularization, but she still refused to have her leg amputated, probably the first uh, CLI warrior. And actually, she took the bat, actually. She, she left doctor taking guide wires and catheters because there were no balloons at the time. So essentially what he did, doctor passed catheters, which were uh, of uh, bigger and bigger size in order to squish the, 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 the plaque along the side of the vessel. And actually, by doing this, he achieved a better luminal gain and uh, he gave her enough blood flow to heal the wounds. The intervention was published. And actually, if we think about the sake of the patient, uh, you know, the, the circulation, uh, the vessel, was maintained patent without any kind of drug, any kind of balloon, but said patent and she actually died 2.5 um, years later of pneumonia. So nothing correlated to the PAD. So actually, well done to doctor. Oh. Thank you. And coming up right here on the Heart of Innovation, we're going to have more on how angioplasty and other technologies used to unblock arteries have evolved. So stay with us. 
three years ago, my symptoms started with leg pain and leg cramps while walking. Me too, with a tightness in my calves. Well, do you know, my doctor thought that my leg cramps were a side effect of the statin he prescribed me. Well, my doctor just brushed them off as another symptom of old age. Mine thought the pain was radiating from my spine. My doctor blamed my neuropathy on diabetes until I got a wound on my foot that just wouldn't heal. Yeah, it turns out we all have peripheral artery disease, also known as PAD. It's plaque buildup mainly in the leg arteries causing poor circulation. For me, the diagnosis came too late and I lost my leg, but that does not have to happen to you. No, it does not, because there are treatment options available if you're diagnosed early enough. PAD, peripheral artery disease. If you've been experiencing leg pain, leg cramps, or neuropathy when walking, and your doctor isn't hearing you, we are. We are the way to my heart, the largest support network for peripheral artery disease patients. And we want to help you get back on your feet again. Visit our website at thewaytomyheart.com. Org or call our Legsaver hotline, 415-320-7138. Your life and limb could depend on it. Welcome back to The Heart of Innovation. For more on today's topic, go to theheartofinnovation.org. That's theheartofinnovation.org. Once again, here's Emmy Award-winning journalist Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist Dr. John Phillips. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. We are continuing to walk down the proverbial yellow brick road of peripheral intervention, and we're happy to have Dr. Simpson as well as Dr. Petrone with us today. And before we went to break, we were touching on the use of balloons to open up blocked vessels. But Dr. Simpson, you noted pretty early on, I would imagine, that there could be better ways to potentially remove that buildup within the vessel. So you came up with this little device that ultimately... It was called the Fox Hollow. Can you let us uh, get inside your brain and understand how you figured that out? Yeah, so the the company was Fox Hollow. It was the name of the company. The device was called the Silverhawk. I'm not sure why we called it the, the Silverhawk. I don't think there is a Silverhawk, uh, <laughs> actually. But uh, uh, there was a time when, in the early days of the interventional space, prior to stenting, uh, we would have uh, the, one of our big problems post angioplasty was dissections that occurred when the balloon was expanded. We just felt like that if we could, instead of just squishing everything around, if we could clean it out, that that might be a better alternative. I still believe in, in, in many studies that is still the best alternative, to be honest with you. Um, I'm a little bit in the minority now because everybody seems to put whatever they do, then they end up putting a stent on, on something at the end, which I think. Um, uh, that would be a long discussion uh, to how sometimes maybe that's a, a not indicated. However, uh, the concept of if you could uh, build a catheter that would have a it would have a support mechanism on it of some kind and a cutting mechanism and a storage mechanism in the tip that you could go in, you could shave off material, use the balloon to oppose the uh, the device, and then you could uh, shave off material that was was uh, hanging out kind of into a canoe, if you will. Uh, and collect that in the nose cone uh, of the uh, device then. Um, uh, and we termed that atherectomy, meaning that you were taking the atheroma out of the patient. Um, that's been uh, used in a lot of different ways. I mean, people had grind up stuff now and send it downstream and called that atherectomy. That's a mis- misnomer, uh, in my opinion. But um, 
the concept of, of being able to remove plaque um, and not have just to try to kind of squish it, compress it, shift it around, um, I thought was uh, would be particularly favorable. And we do have examples of patients now that are out 30 years uh, that had that done not only in the coronary, uh, not in peripheral vessels, but in the coronary uh, vessels and uh, great stories of patients that I remember one patient uh, that the surgeon said there are no name vessels, but no thing would look at my, you can't treat this patient. You can't fix it. You, um, I said, well, let's, let's try the Fox Hollow device. And, you know, we, they were going to amputation is already scheduled at Stanford. They've been fitted for a prosthesis. And he said, he's already been fitted for a prosthesis. So we should probably just go ahead with the am- amputation. I said, that is not an indication for amputation. They haven't been fitted for a prosthesis. So, we, uh, uh, of course, uh, but anyway, it turned out we were able to open this artery up, um, perforated the artery, I think, four times. But, you know, it was we were able to seal the perforations. And, and ultimately, uh, he survived almost 15 years uh, wow. with leg, uh, without any, uh, for, uh, had one other additional uh, treatment. But then it just tells you that. You have to have an, uh, somebody to be an advocate, which is, uh, I think, what this whole organization does. Uh, it's just, um, uh, in, in my mind, it, it's an amazing accomplishment. Because unless you have a real advocate for the patient and uh, to tell them that they don't have to have an amputation, they should get a second opinion. There are all kinds of uh, alternatives now to amputation. It just has to be a... We have to get more and more people that share our passion mm-hmm. about avoiding amputation and, and finding a way to improve the advocacy for patients to get to exactly what Kim is just alluding to or, and, and uh, uh, John just talked about. The, there are alternatives, and we need to get people to those alternatives. It's not just because you've been fitted for prosthesis, you need to have your leg cut off. Yeah, it's it's unconscionable. I mean, frankly, and it it makes you, you know, all these inventors work so hard, such as yourself for years and years and years to come up with these amazing concepts. Um, Low trauma, for the most part, have done medically appropriate and as indicated to unblock these arteries. And it really started with um, with daughter, Charles daughter, just increasing the size of the catheters to just dilate that vessel and make room for more blood to flow. Then it, it evolved to balloons. And I'm curious, the next question being, where in his house did German cardiologist Andreas Grunzig develop the first balloon? Was it A, the bedroom, B, the kitchen, or C, the bathroom? John? Well, I imagine it's not the bedroom nor the bathroom. So uh, hey, you never know. You never know. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go uh, kitchen. <laughs> okay, yeah. I mean, you got you got it right, but still, you know, even the kitchen table is a bit of a funny thing. And actually, there's a nice picture which uh, is uh, going around in uh, in on the internet. There's a uh, his wife Michaela who was uh, actually uh, helping him on this kitchen table. You can see on the table there are so many different materials, and it probably was really homemade uh, and uh, is this kind of four millimeter uh, balloon uh, which was uh, on uh, on that surface which were then used for superficial femoral artery in 1974 so look at that how many 
years now passed after you know the first attempt of daughter so 10 years later we're talking finally about this uh, this uh, uh, angioplastic catheter maybe john simpson can explain to us how these uh, balloon catheters were made you know of course they were stitched to a catheter but how did they plan to have two lumens to pass the wire and to inflate the balloon? I think it's, it's you know, pioneering these devices should have been amazing. Am I right? And I think Dr. Simpson also sat at the same table in which those balloons were invented at Grunzig's house with his wife, Michaela. I did. I did. I did sit at the table. I did have some wine uh, at the table. I saw the stove uh, near there where he was, uh, he, he would heat the, the PVC so he could make it into a balloon. Um, I have a picture of the cork that we used to sign uh, that night uh, to form this fantastic society, which lasted about a week. Uh, and then, uh, but just, uh, he was a guy that was, I thought, profoundly innovative, um, uh, built a catheter that, uh, you know, was a great first uh, test. And when I actually went to uh, see Andreas uh, on this particular trip, I wanted to see him do coronary angioplasty. He did more peripheral angioplasty on that trip. Uh, and in fact, the coronaries did not work so well, but the peripheral uh, artery uh, angioplasty worked really quite nicely. So, um, uh, and, and, but his, his system was pretty complicated. And, uh, and I think my, my contribution to all that was to come up with a simpler embodiment uh, that could be more widely used with the movable guide wire. He had a fixed guide wire and, uh, on the end of the catheter. He was gifted, and he could make it. He could shape it, and and he could make it go all kinds of places that none of the rest of us that were less gifted uh, could do. So I think uh, that was sort of my motivation for finding because the, he did have multiple lumens, had pressure measurements, he had balloon inflation, and the fixed wire. It was just it, it was. I needed something simpler uh, than and along the lines of what I had learned from Lou Wexler. So, so, so it's Dr. interesting the first. Oh no! I was just going to say real quick, like how did they? How do you come over that uh, that inertia where you're planning on doing something that no one's done before? So Grunzig, you know, you how do you consent the patient? How do they even consider with their the 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 colleagues at large who thinks this is absolutely crazy, and yet somehow they were able to do it and then look at the field that was born. So I think Andreas was, uh, he had a, a huge battle with the chief of, of uh, surgery, um, uh, in Zurich. And, and those battles were, uh, were, were, were widely known. Um, and he just, he, he just had the, he persevered and almost always in your first trial, right? You're doing patients that, that, uh, they have two things, right? They have, uh, no other really good alternative. So they're kind of last, last ditch effort, if you will. And they're willing to kind of take a, take a risk on, on what's going on. Uh, in my setting, my, I was very fortunate at Stanford to have Norm Shumway uh, and Tom Fogarty both as cardiac surgeons. And they were actually very supportive of, uh, of the effort to develop an angioplasty system. Uh, and Fogarty worked mostly out of Sequoia Hospital, some, some out of Stanford, uh, whereas uh, Shumway did all, all the stuff out of Stanford. He told me one day, he said, you know, this whole angioplasty thing, which our, the chief of cardiology at Stafford did not support. His name was Don Harrison. Um, he told me it was, he did not want me to work on that. He wanted me to work on other stuff. And I was a junior member, member of the faculty at Stafford at the time. But Shomway said, no, I want you to do angioplasty because you're, you're sending me so many patients. You're, you're dissecting these arteries and, and this emergency surgery is really exciting for us. And I go, well, that's not my intent. 
uh, to provide excitement. I mean, also, I know, I know the fantastic story of Dr. Grunzig who wanted to prove the point that the androplasties were not uh, really harmful for the growing. Actually, on the day of the Christmas party of his own department in, uh, in Switzerland, he decided to have his fellow to do uh, uh, a coronary angiogram on him oh, himself. Damn, damn. Yeah, and actually then what he did, he woke uh, more or less straight away to the part in order to show, you know, that uh, the procedure was safe and you didn't have to leave the patient lying forever on a, on a bed. So essentially pretty, uh, as you said, you mentioned crazy. I mean, this, this is pretty crazy. I mean, I, but it's also, I think it's a testament of, uh, of people who really uh, struggle, but they, they still uh, go ahead with what they think and they even uh, try on themselves things, you know, and we're going to come back to this uh, yep, try on yep. yourself thing uh, later, I think, is Yes, we will. That's a great tease. So stay with us right here on the Heart of Innovation. We have more on the evolution of treatment for PAD and coronary artery disease. That's next. Stay with us. Welcome back to the Heart of Innovation. For more on today's topic, go to theheartofinnovation.org. That's theheartofinnovation.org. Once again, here's Emmy Award-winning journalist Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist Dr. John Phillips. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the show. Before the break, we were talking about some of these inventors of the endovascular procedures, the ones that unblock the arteries in both the legs and the heart using minimally invasive means that many of these inventors would test out some of their theories on themselves. Hey, if it was okay for them, it's okay for everyone else. And another one of those inventors is Dr. Warner Forsman, who John mentioned in his moment of inspiration in the beginning of the show and quoted. So who is Dr. Warner Forsman? Is he A, the inventor of the first stent, B, the first one to catheterize the heart, or C, the surgeon who performed the first fempop vein bypass? Any takers on that one? I, I know it, but anybody in the, anybody in the audience, Douglas? Douglas, how about uh, Susan? Susan, I see you're there. Why don't you unmute? Give it a try. A, B, or C? She can't unmute. How about, how about C? Hines? Okay. Was that Heinz? C, yes. it's actually B. Yeah, it, it was the first, the first one to, one to catheterize the heart. Yeah, essentially, you know, it, it came far before any uh, bypass. It was in 1929 when this doctor performed the, the first cardiac uh, catheterization on himself. And then we were talking about yeah. people who wanted to prove their point. And uh, you see that he tried twice and uh, it was with the same nurse. And the first time he stopped because he felt that the catheter was stuck. The second time he exposed uh, his own vein, but in a tricky way. So essentially the nurse after the first catheterization, I felt very scared for him. So I don't know if she was in love or what, but anyway, she said, no, doctor, you can't do it on yourself. You need to do it on me. So essentially, he didn't want to do it on her. So what he did, he uh, gave her local anesthesia in order to try to, uh, uh, you know, uh, let her thinking that uh, this uh, uh, procedure was done on her. And then instead, while, while uh, the, 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 the arm was anesthetized, he did it on himself again. So at some stage, the nurse, of course, realized that it was not done on her. And uh, then uh, when it was halfway, they, you know, she helped him in reaching the heart and then they moved to X-ray department. And actually, there's a, a very nice uh, X-ray of uh, his heart. Essentially, there's a 60 centimeter of catheter 
Uh, urinary catheter actually because it was the only catheter available in 1929 and actually this uh, picture with the catheter into the art is now uh, uh, history because as, as I said you know wow. he was the first one to do this and he even uh, got the Nobel Prize so wow story. wow and, and didn't wasn't he uh, fired from his position for doing that was he oh, of course not <laughs> he, he had some troubles but essentially, they, they said that he eventually, he, you know, it was so revolutionary and he did it on his own that uh, he was not fired. But, you know, we, we had, uh, so I thought that he was uh, moved out of the department or something like that. Well, he actually went to he dropped out of cardio, cardiothoracic surgery and went into urology, I think, is what happened. OK, ah, OK, uh, that's <laughs> nice to know. Yeah. That is, Dr. Simpson, as an inventor, have you ever done yeah, I was any ask that too. on yourself? So, and now that you're describing all of this, the answer is no. <laughs> and and I won't either. I have plan no plans to do that. Well, have you ever been? Question. Have you ever been close to being uh, dismissed from your position? Oh, I have been dismissed from my position six times. Okay, you're kidding. <laughs> uh, these are these are like medals of honors, you know. Yeah, your exactly. <laughs> Wear them with pride. So I, yeah. I have a good question here, though, for Dr. Simpson. And I, I'm curious, I, I don't know. I want Lorenzo to answer this one. What do you think the catalyst was for Dr. John Simpson pursuing a career in medicine? Was it A, a family member who didn't receive adequate care? B, a TV story about the evolution in cardiovascular medicine? Or C, an encounter with U.S. actor Jack Nicholas? Oh. Ah, wow! This is a good one because all the three, all the three are quite unlikely. So I mean, I don't know which is the most, uh, the most unlikely. I will go with uh, I don't know an encounter with an actor sounds me uh, quite uh, interesting. So if that's the answer, probably we're gonna get a good story. <laughs> Doctor Simpson. So uh, not a, he, uh, uh, yes, not an actor though, a golfer. So oh, that's uh, sorry, the golfer. Nicholas. Yeah. <laughs> Jack Nicholas. Yeah, Jack Nicholas, the PGA golfer. Uh, yeah, and, and I was. Uh, but I've got to leave. Yeah, I mean the the this, the story is that um, I was a bank teller at uh, Ohio National Bank, and Jack Nicholas's uh, winnings were deposited in my teller cage. Uh, Thirty thousand dollars for the U.S. Open, nineteen sixty-seven. I was so excited. I was just being trained. I couldn't believe it. I took this check all around the bank, and I lost it. Uh, and so the, my teller cage was out of balance by $30,000. Anyway, the bank, uh, vice president came to me a few days later and, you know, he called me Johnny. He said, Johnny, uh, I've got to tell you, I don't think you're cut out to be a banker. Oh, no. And I said, he said, I think graduate school is better for you. I said, okay, good. I'll go to graduate school. So I lost my job. That was my first time that I was dismissed, let's say. Did you ever find the check? So I, I just, when I say I lost it, that's a bit of a mistake. But the check was placed. So the, no computers in that era, right? So we're talking in in, uh, in the 1960s. And so I, I had to put the check in the right place. And then it went to the clearinghouse in Cleveland. But I put it in the wrong stack and it went to the clearinghouse in Fort Worth for whatever reason, which was not connected to his account. Anyway, bottom line is they found it. But it took about two weeks to find the check. And he was not impressed, although 30 years later, he wrote me a really cute letter. He said that he heard that that my uh, interaction with him and with Goff had, had led to some career changes for me, but he hoped it worked out eventually. I'd say it did. 
Okay, I got another good one for you. Why is the chain Food Ruckers, if you've heard of it, correlated to Bud Ruckers? Bud Ruckers. Bud Ruckers. Okay, there you go. <clears throat> Bud Ruckers. See, we don't have those in California. So um, when I read about this, I, I, I automatically, it's food. It's Fud Ruckers, though. Mm-hmm. Correlated. How are they correlated to PAD? So, John, this one's for you. A, were they a sponsor for the first trial to dose LDL in patients? B, were they the first case um, where a company was sued by the FDA for inducing people to develop PAD? Or C, they financed Julio Palmas to create his stent? I'm pretty sure they played a role with, uh, yeah, because Palmas was, I think it's Palmas, yeah. I'm pretty sure they're out of, was he out of Texas or something? Yeah, San Antonio, yeah. Yeah, so I'm pretty yeah, sure. That's, that's correct. I mean, yeah. this, this was a tough one, actually. Yeah, because it was Phil Romano. And Phil Romano was an entrepreneur who found a restaurant chain that, as we said, put rockers and also the macaroni grill. And actually uh, offered like uh, Julio Palmas $250,000 in exchange for some steaks, you know, some uh, some quotes of uh, their product. And essentially, so the Palmas uh, began developing this uh, stand with uh, Richard Schatz, which was a cardiologist at the Brook Army Medical Center. And actually, the, all the three of them, they, they start calling themselves the Expandable Graft Partnership. And they patented the stand technology in 1985 and presented this to a variety of large companies. And uh, uh, of course, there was uh, there was uh, some people who didn't believe uh, in, uh, in the product, like Boston Scientific. And essentially, in 1985, they actually... They didn't. Uh, they didn't uh, get this product between their 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 portfolio. And actually, it was Johnson and Johnson who actually uh, eventually licensed the licensed the, um, the stand technology for like ten million dollars uh, plus royalties. And actually, with you know like uh, uh, Johnson and Johnson behind it, it was a big uh, company with an additional hundred millions invested in development. Then Palmer Stand was approved for using peripheral arteries in nineteen ninety one, and actually then was approved in nineteen ninety four in the coronary arteries. And if you think about the first stand, which was used into the coronary arteries, actually it's not a balloon mounted stand like the the, the Palmer Stand, but it was a self expanding stand, which was the wall stand. And the wall stand, just to finish this kind of uh, folkloristic note, is named after the. It's of course his inventor because everyone thinks wall stand. So there's a stand works like a wall or something like that. Instead, the guy was a Swedish guy, and his surname was Wallsten. So essentially, mm-hmm. after his surname, he put a T, and this is where the the name Wallsten comes. Mm, I didn't know that. That is awesome. Well, I found something too interestingly about nitinol wire coils. And there is in radiology in 1983, they published this quote, new type of endovascular prosthesis, which was a unique metal alloy, ultimately nitinol, a heat sensitive memory. And so what they did was they had coil graphs that they strained in ice water and passed them into a canine aorta. And then when they released them it, and they heated up, they reformed into their original shape. That was the first. So it's 1983, the first time nitinol was ever used inside an animal. Well, well coming up right here on the Heart of Innovation, we're going to finish off this quiz. we got a couple more questions left, so stay with us. This has been a fascinating show. Welcome back to the Heart of Innovation. For more on today's topic, go to theheartofinnovation.org. That's theheartofinnovation.org. Once again, here's Emmy Award-winning journalist Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist Dr. John Phillips. We only have two minutes left, so Dr. Simpson, what are you working on right now? 
Well, I've always had this fascination with imaging, um, uh, looking at the uh, the arteries either by ultrasound or by a new technique called optical coherence tomography (OCT). Uh, and so, my my goal has been I put this on some catheters in the past that are used in the legs um, very successfully, but probably the the imaging it has less value there. The imaging is very important in the heart because it can really improve the safety profile in a dramatic way. So, uh, we're developing a, a so-called OCT guided um, system, a catheter system for use in patients with uh, coronary artery disease where they have a completely blocked artery. And so it allows us to cross around, uh, go around a completely blocked artery and go back into the so-called true lumen or the original channel. You get stuck in the mud, you need to get back on the highway. This is the way to get back on the highway uh, with with uh, onboard imaging. Awesome. And Dr. Petroni, final thoughts? I mean, I think it's, it's been a very nice, uh, you know, episode. And actually, we still have so many interesting questions. I mean, we're talking between uh, between the different uh, uh, parts of this show that we're going to do a second episode. I think we really need to do that because there's so much more to discuss and so much more to learn for each of us, actually, because everyone is learning from each other these kind of nice stories. And I'm so happy that John Simpson was with us. And actually, I can't wait then uh, to have him uh, an FYA in London, uh, 28, 29 of January, 2024, and put him, you know, on a chair and ask him like all the funny questions so yeah i mean it's been great time for every one of us and hopefully also for the people who listen to this Kim, i think this is probably one of our better shows i've had a blast what do you think me too i love when everyone on the show is actually learning and smiling and having a good time i i think it's definitely one of the best and to be continued because we're going to do a whole other episode with more questions to come thanks so much everyone for joining us have a great weekend and happy father's day Yep. Thank you. Thanks to everybody. Thank you, everybody. You've been listening to The Heart of Innovation with Emmy Award-winning journalist Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist Dr. John Phillips. Our mission is to help patients live a better quality of life through comprehensive education, real-time support, and high-touch advocacy in partnership with thewaytomyheart.org and take a stand against amputation. Our purpose is to reduce the 1.5 million heart attacks and strokes and nearly 200,000 amputations annually. For more information regarding topics you've heard discussed on today's program, go to theheartofinnovation.org. That's theheartofinnovation.org. The Heart of Innovation is for educational and informational purposes only, and advice and views shared are not a substitute for medical advice from your own supervising physician. Do not act on any information provided in this show without the explicit consent from your own healthcare team. If you think you are having a medical emergency, call your local emergency number or go to the nearest hospital or emergency room. This show is distributed by the Innovators Network. For more information and other great shows and content, visit theinnovators.network. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosion. 
explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.